You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Don't ever let someone's negative opinion about you become your opinion of yourself. Those words were spoken by a teacher to a young man who believed he was too dumb to write a simple sentence on a blackboard. The young man was Les Brown, one of the world's most respected motivational speakers. His teacher's words changed his life. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome once again to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. I'm excited to announce that our sponsor is Audible. They are offering you, our listeners, a free download of one of your favorite audio books. You get to choose from 180,000 titles, and you also get a one-month free trial of Audible's entire service. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. That is www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. For your convenience, you can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio, as well as the website ChangeYourStoryPodcast.com. Because the theme of the show is Change Your Story, Change Your Life, I've created a free gift for you, my listeners. It is an ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life in Business. You can download it immediately at www.changeyourstorypodcast.com. One of the most rewarding things in this podcast for me is my ongoing dialogue with you, my storytellers, my listeners. Let's continue that dialogue. Keep sending your comments about what you're getting from the show and what you'd like to see in it going forward. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. I promise to read every message I receive and to choose some of them to share with you on the show. Today's guest is a woman who faced many negative opinions and stories about her and her life. She didn't let them define her. She worked in the corporate world as a director of sales and marketing. She was an award-winning network marketer, a successful public speaker, an entrepreneur. She is a proud single mom who inspires other single moms to embrace their solo parenting with joy and pride. She's a woman who plays many roles and is passionate about helping people discover and believe in their own inner beauty. I'm excited and honored to introduce Danya Gale to our show. Danya, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. 
Hi, Lewis. It's a pleasure to be with you today. And hello to everyone. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be interviewing you. So let's start with where you were born. Well, I was born in the beautiful Rocky Mountains of Colorado Springs, Colorado, and lived there my entire life until I went to college at Fort Collins in CSU. Colorado. It sounds very, um, from where I'm sitting, very romantic. (laughs) (laughs) It can be romantic. There is nothing like a Colorado sunset, but the Rocky Mountains, Pikes Peak, was right in front of our house, outside of our window, and the mountains truly are majestic here. Of course, Colorado is great ski country. Oh, absolutely. Skiing, snowboarding, everything. Do you ski? Uh, I have skied, but I actually love to snowboard better. Nice. I never did snowboarding in the Bronx. Now, were you from a big family? I wouldn't call it a big family. Um, Two parenting home, my mom, my dad, and a brother who is two years younger than I am. And what was your early family life like? Oh, you know, I miss it tremendously. Um, My early family life was simple. Uh, My dad worked for the school district for over 20 years. My mom worked in hospitality for her career. Um, We had dinner every night on the table, and we were very community-driven. I was a debutante and a brownie, and we had a system And it was just simple and lovely. My grandparents were always around, uh, always supportive, um, and kind of an old school mindset. You know, go to church on Sunday, you know, say the right thing, do the right thing. Um, Very inside of the box, but lovely family uh, and caring, caring surroundings. You know, I'm I'm curious, when you were a kid, did you have a a childhood dream of what you wanted to be as a grown-up? Oh, that's such a wonderful question. This is so interesting because the only thing at one point in my life that I ever aspired to be um, was a lawyer. But then the main thing was just to be a mom. I grew up in the era of, uh, you know, go to school, go to college, the white picket fence, the family and the husband, and uh, realized through various changes in terms, I was inspired to do so much more. So my dream was just to have a family and two kids, a son and a daughter. A worthy goal and dream. Who influenced you the most when you were growing up? I would say my great-grandmother, but even more so above all, was my father. Um, My dad was a true dad. He was up close and personal. Um, He was systematic. I always knew he would be home every single day at 2.15, and we should have the house in order. Our lawn was immaculate. It looked like a golf course. Um, Every neighbor knew him. He was very well known in our community, the school districts. All of the kids in the neighborhood would come over to our house and just hang out. And he was uh, very real, very forthright, very strong in his words, and um, just no BS, no BS at all. And everybody adored him for it, even if they got their feelings hurt. (laughs) It sounds like he was very charismatic. Very, yes. (laughs) Are there things that stand out particularly for you about your dad? You know, his fortitude and strength in overcoming so many different things, um, I would say, was the most powerful. I mean, there there was no filter on my dad whatsoever. He always shared with me that, you know, you can do anything, you can be anything, you can believe anything, but there must be order, 
and uh, the world is cold out there. You, he always used to tell me, I, you know, you won't have many friends. You don't have friends. I'm your friend. And um, here's what real life really looks like. And when I was a child, I just didn't understand that. I was innocent. I was, you know, just living my life and going to school. And he made my lunch every single day till I was in the 12th grade. He was at every single volleyball game, every single basketball game, every PTA meeting. And, but he would always say, the world is cold out there. And I didn't understand that until I got older. And so when I'm looking back, I really, really appreciate every single word he said, even though I couldn't absorb it then. It truly uh, molded me into being prepared for real life and not putting any expectation on anyone else but myself and my faith. Hmm. What challenges did your dad personally overcome? Uh, my dad had a wonderful childhood. Now, this is this is a heartfelt moment for me because I this is the first time in all of my interviewing I've really talked about my dad. I've talked about everybody else. I've done all this other stuff. So. I am going to actually share this today, and I am proud of it. So my dad actually helped raise his brothers and sisters. They had a larger family, um, and so he was the oldest, and he helped my grandmother a lot with them and leading and sharing and caring and getting them to school and all of that. And, um, and then he, as he grew up, he became uh, kind of street-driven, very street-wise, a street leader. Um, there were drugs and heroin and cocaine, and um, he had been shot a time or two, and he really began to tell me these stories closer to him passing. I happened to be uh, pregnant with my son uh, when I was 21 years old. I was living in Denver. My dad was living in Colorado Springs about an hour away. And he began to call me every single day and tell me stories about his life, about what was happening, um, about what he had been through, what he endured. And I was quite shocked about some of the things, you know, um, involving drugs and and being shot and hustling in the streets and all that. And he wanted me to know the truth about him. Uh, but his legacy continued on. That was when he was younger. Um, he served in Vietnam. He was a helicopter fighter. And then after Vietnam, he came back to Denver. And my mom asked him to marry him. So it was the reverse. My mom asked my dad to marry her. They moved away from all the drugs and, and um, street life and hustle. And they moved to Colorado Springs and built a very beautiful life for my entire childhood up to 22 years. That's fascinating. What was, besides the influence of your mom, what made him decide to give up the street life and create a different kind of life? My dad had an authentic adoration for humanity, for the hearts of people. Uh, for being an overcomer, not only himself, but his family, his brothers and sisters. He was just a soldier in the very little literal sense, inside out. And that was his natural character. And yes, he was very charismatic. He loved to barbecue. That was like his favorite thing. He has a special barbecue sauce. He was very animated, very strong, very powerful. And when he said something, everyone knew it meant. He, mean, he meant exactly that. So... Um, that, that type of character and persona and always being real all of the time and consistent, you could always know what to expect from him. I think those were some really key points and positive characteristics of my father. Well, it's, um, it's interesting that people who temporarily embrace the dark side of life, who walk out of the uh, traditional respected um, way of doing things often uh, 
when they turn around, they find that their experiences have strengthened their character. I mean, I'm thinking of a man like Malcolm X, who also was a hustler and a street person and who became a world leader. That's a powerful life lesson. Yes, it is. My dad, I believe family, literally, you know, you asked about the change, what shifted him. Um, and again, his adoration for love and family and being um, a parent and raising two individuals to grow up and be something. Education was everything to my dad. He uh, worked in the school district. He was around it. He worked with many uh, administrators. And it was so very important that we graduated high school. I was the first of my family to graduate high school. I was the first in my family to go to college. And education was everything to him. So uh, the family, my brother, my mom, that was the pivotal pivoting moment in his life where um, settling down, building a life and a career um, in the school system really changed him and the lives of so many people around him. That's wonderful. That's very inspirational. How did your dad help and support your cousin, who is a famous person, Pam Greer? Uh, you know, that's a great story. So from what he has said and just being around the family, um, Pam Greer's mom and my dad's mom are sisters. And so he would drive her to her first auditions and uh, just support her in what she was doing back then. Um, they grew up all on the same block. And my dad was very, very close to her. They had many private conversations. And uh, he really inspired her and supported her in the very, very beginnings of her career when she was young. And as everyone knows, uh, she grew into be Foxy Brown and have a very um, strong impact on black women, brown women uh, in film. And so, uh, yeah, he got to be part of that. He was around Richard Pryor and many other stars when he was with her and just got to be in a little bit of that Hollywood limelight. But he, he stayed very grounded. And um, that was just an area kind of growing up that, that he experienced. Now, wasn't Pam Greer married to Richard Pryor for a while? You know, we're on live radio. I actually believe so, but I don't want to state that as fact. <laughs> I actually believe from what I've heard and seen and from photos that they may have been in a relationship, but uh, I won't speak factually on that, Lewis. Well, you know, it's funny because on the Internet, it actually states that. It says that there, there's a certain period of time they, they, were, they were married. Well, I've seen photos. I'll leave it there. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, for those of our listeners who may not know who Pam Greer is, uh, besides, we said Foxy Brown, she also was in Tarantino's movie called um, Jackie Brown. She had a very big role in that. And uh, she was at the center of the development of black film in the United States, right? Yes. Yeah. And she's still working as an actress, right? Well, yeah, she's been in, um, she was in uh, a film with Queen Latifah, and she was Queen Latifah's mom in that movie. Um, she's done a few other things. She's written a book recently. She's been on some talk shows. So she's still around, if you will. She's still absolutely gorgeous. We still love and respect her. Um, her mom lives here in Denver, Colorado, as, long, as well as her sister and brother. And her brother, Rod Greer, is an artist. And uh, Gina's also here. I run into them every now and then. Uh, but yeah, still grounded. She has a ranch here in Colorado. And uh, she's still doing her thing here and there. Did you get to know her at all? 
Yeah, absolutely. I was never really uh, close to her. She was always traveling in Hollywood, but we have been to her ranch. We've ridden her horses and had dinner and uh, just been around her in that sense, but not on a one-on-one daily basis. Mm-hmm. Now, your dad's death presented some difficult challenges for you. Can you please talk a bit about that? <laughs> I heard an emphasis on please. (laughs) Yes, I can absolutely speak on that. You know, my dad passed away 10 days before my son was born. Uh, He was born March 12th of 1945 and passed away March 12th of 1995. So he lived exactly 50 years. He passed away on his 50th birthday and uh, about 10 days before I was going to have my son. So I'm standing next to him as he's transitioning and leaving this world. My whole family is there, and um, everybody's expecting me to have this baby and uh, excited for my son to come, and this suddenly happened. My dad was very strong, and um, he had an aortic aneurysm. He mowed our neighbor's lawns. He took care of the school. He did all kinds of things, and so suddenly he had an aortic aneurysm, a tear in his heart, and uh, they could not put a stint or correct that, and so he was gone in a very, very short amount of time. They actually sent him home from the hospital. I think they probably could have saved his life and put a stint or two in there and uh, saved him, but they did not. Um, they sent him home probably a couple days, a couple days, I repeat, after heart surgery. And uh, he immediately went back to the hospital and then later passed away um, uh, some hours later. Now, that change was huge for me because I'm carrying a child and my family. I'm a leader in my family. Again, I was the first to do all these different things. I'm living in Denver and Everyone has this expectation that I'm going to do so great. And when my dad passed away, it changed everything. I moved back home for a little bit. And uh, it was just devastating because he had such a huge community around him. Everybody knew him and loved him. And it was very, everybody was mourning. It was very interesting. I didn't realize how much of an impact he had on our neighbors and family and everyone in Denver and everyone who loved him until that happened. And he had standing room only at his funeral and all of that. But the thing that changed me the very most was watching my mom and my brother handle it in a completely different manner. See, I had a child 10 days later, and I was forced uh, to live life. And um, my son brought me life. But my entire immediate family was mourning. And my mom and my brother were traveling. And, you know, my mom uh, just kind of became to do drugs and alcohol a little bit more. And she, um, at one point, uh, was suicidal, uh, did not want to be around because my dad was such a strong, important force in her life. And she just did not know how to continue on after being married to him over 20 years. We had the same home, the same house. I mean, everything was cultivated around my dad. And so I know many, many people have experienced this. Many people honor their mom and their dad and all of that. But really, at that point in life, we didn't even have that much faith. We knew about God. We had, you know, my grandmothers went to church, but our belief was in my dad. And the significant change there is when he left, I was forced to believe in myself and the omnipotent power within and take the knowledge and wisdom that he shared with me and go forward. I could no longer talk and touch a person that could lead me and guide me. And I had to go to, I had to find that within. That's very, very strong. Thank you so much for sharing that. What was the most powerful force that helped you to triumph during that difficult period? I, my, I tell my son this. He is a dynamic human being. He was born through a very tense and stressful time, obviously, in, our, in my life, in our life. And uh, my son saved my life because while everybody else was out 
spending all the life insurance money and messing up everything and traveling and just lighting their lives on fire and just sad and dark, um, I moved to Denver. I took a risk. I moved away from my family, got an apartment on my own, and uh, my kid's dad had moved out of the state. So immediately after my dad passed away, I'd become a single parenting mother. And my son was life to me. Everything about him, he's always been beyond his years. He has been light. Um, he is angelic. And uh, even to this day, he's now 22 years old. And uh, he's just a dynamic human being. How wonderful. Tell me a little more about your son. What, uh, what are his goals? What is he planning to do? Uh, my son's 22 now. He teaches me so, so much. He is conscious. He is loving. He is um, an entrepreneur. Um, he has an e-commerce business that he started a little while ago. He travels the world. He just got back from Colombia where he was uh, learning from some mentors there with two of his very best friends. He has a mastermind group and he studies and learns about life and business. He's been around amazing influential people um, such as Rod Smith. We became family friends many years ago back when my son was about 11 or 12. And uh, Rod Smith, who is formerly of the Denver Broncos and now has a fantastic new book out called The Rod Effect, um, was really a significant um, inspiration and mentor to my son. So he would be over there majority of the time getting kind of that manhood and real life talk. And uh, now he and Rod Smith's son are very best friends and uh, they have a business and really are doing some really phenomenal things. But on the personal side, he is still that endearing, life-giving light to everyone. He has a magnetic personality. Um, he left college after two years of having uh, too much fun, told me he did not love school and asked me, he said, can I come home, mom? And of course, you can always come home, but what are you going to do? Um, and he wanted to pursue a career in modeling and acting. And I was like, well, you know, everybody wants to be a model and actor. Everybody wants to move to L.A. What does that look like for you? He said, it's real to me. And so he moved back home. Um, about a week later, one of my friends hired him, believed in him, saw the inspiration in him. He needed about $7,000 to attend a condensed acting class. We ran into a lady who was powerful in the industry just by divine intervention. Um, my friend started paying him a significant amount and invested in him every week. He made that $1,000 himself, went to class for 45 days, went to L.A., and got picked up by three of the top agents in Los Angeles. Um, so he's still modeling. He's still doing his acting and casting, as you know, Louis. Um, you got to go to a lot of castings. <laughs> Uh, it's a very crazy world out there in L.A., but he's staying there for two years. And he's represented by Wilhelmina, L.A., um, Luba Rocklin, the late Paul Walker's manager, is his manager now. And uh, he's doing all kinds of things, but I believe his greater purpose is to affect the masses with his story of just kind of overcoming things that we had to go through um, as I was single parenting him and uh, what he had to be around and face as a kid. That's very, very exciting. Could you please repeat the name of the man you said became his mentor? You know, I, you know, I'm careful with the word mentor because he became more of a family friend. Um, and his name is Rod Smith, Mr. Rod Smith, number 80 of the Denver Broncos. <laughs> And, and and you said he has a book, and I, I um, maybe it was just me, but I, I I think you said it very quickly. Could you slowly go? What was the name of the book? Sure, um, our dear family friend, Mr. Rod Smith, who has also been a great influence in business to me, 
um, and very good to my daughter, my whole family. Um, we have a really great story there. He just released a book um, called The Rod Effect. And uh, it really, the reason why, it's my current read right now. And uh, he gifted me a, a signed copy. And it really is so uh, important to me because I can actually see what he's writing in that book and actually have seen it up close and personal in his kitchen, in his office, when I was working with him closely in network marketing. Everything that he is saying in that book is absolute truth. And he is talking about eight ways um, on how he made it and how he can influence other people to take these steps and be consistent and persevere um, to really become who you're called to be, you know, ignoring um, distractions and all those other things. So it's a really great book, but I got more of it one-on-one -on -one with him talking directly to us um, as our family friend and even leader in business. You mentioned that you worked with him in network marketing? Yeah. <laughs> no. That was a crazy run. <laughs> well, which or what company were you guys with? Um, I worked with him. I met him a number of years be uh, ago, and uh, he invited me. Well, actually, he was at the pool hanging out, and I had been unemployed for a moment, collecting unemployment, finding out what I was going to do with my life. And one of my neighbors says, listen, I need you to come with me somewhere. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay, I'm always open. I'm totally optimistic. And I didn't know I was going to Rod Smith's house. Now, obviously, I watched him on um, television playing football and all of that. And I did not know I lived down the street from him. I actually lived three minutes away from him and never knew it. So my neighbor, a retired firefighter, puts me in the car and we go over to Mr. Rod Smith's house. And from there, we just kind of built a relationship. And... Um, I didn't start the business right away. I waited about five years because my friendship with him and our family connection that kind of just really naturally evolved was so much more important to me than doing business at that time. And my entrepreneurial spirit had not been lit up, if you will. So five years later, I call him. I say, listen, I'm ready to go. He starts, um, he's been in a company called Organo Gold. And uh, it is a coffee business, which I absolutely loved because I believed in the product. I tried it. I drank it. I saw the results. And I needed to do something that I believed in. And I uh, sat down with him so many times. And I remember being in his office. I could not get in front of the room. And he says, Danya, you have to get in front of the room. Now go over this presentation. Now I'm a brilliant person, but I had not been in front of the room. I had been learning and kind of quiet, exact opposite of who I am now. So I remember one day he told me to write some stuff on the board. And I literally started crying. Like I was just so nervous to be a public speaker or talk in front of everyone. And he was the most forceful field in saying, in order to be successful, you have to share your story. You have to become in front of the room. So I learned from him. He told me three things to do. I went out and did them. I did about $35,000 in about three days. Um, got an award in that business. Um, went to Atlanta um, in front of 7,000 people. Received this award. I didn't even know what I was doing. I didn't even know what this is about. I just knew I, in my soul, I needed to do something different. I needed to learn about additional income. And I had someone sitting right in front of my face that was there to do it. And uh, so that was a really, really fun time. I stayed with that company for a couple of years. And then I kind of transitioned. I grew into other things. I listened to the teachings of Mr. Holton Bugs, which were phenomenal. Got to sit a lot around a lot of influential, phenomenal people who were really making uh, additional streams of income. And they were empowering other people to do it. And that was really, really important to me. So... Uh, he had a very important role in me igniting uh, this mic and being on radio and moving forward in um, sharing with other people. That is great. You know, I was just going to ask you 
about Holton Bugs because I know that he is a superstar in network marketing and certainly in Organo Gold. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's, he's a powerful, a powerful force. I learned a lot from him and his team. Um, but the most thing I learned from him is that he failed a lot of times. I remember watching him on stage in my dad's home uh, state of uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And he did this episode where he was running back and forth across the stage and he would run a little ways and he would go back and he would run a little ways and he'd go back. He was telling a story about he would, he would tell his family, I'm going to do it this time. And time after time and after time after time after time. And it was a very extensive um, illustration. He kept failing. But then Organo Gold showed up and that was the time. And so what that inspired me to do is continue um, as an entrepreneur and just keep going because it looks good on the, on the winning side, but he had a lot of failure and uh, he has some tremendous stories behind that. Yeah, most people who have achieved tremendous success, you know, joke about it. They say, yeah, let me tell you about my quote unquote overnight success, which took, which took 20 years to get to. Yes, indeed. Now describe your work in the corporate world. You know, I uh, initially, after going to college and what they train you there, wanted to, you know, move up in the corporate world. I wanted to study uh, law, and that kind of changed. I have, my mom always told me when I was a kid I should be a lawyer because I'm a master negotiator and I can put a twist on words. And she said it sarcastically, but it was kind of very, very true. And I always had a really great um, vocabulary. She's like, whoa, like you are brilliant. You should do something with that. So first I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And I went to CSU and I studied sociology. And I remember sitting in the third row of this class one afternoon. And he says, listen, if you're one of those people who take family problems home and you want to enter the business world at maybe twenty to $30,000 uh, a year, and these stories will impact you of parents and moms and families, um, if you're not one of those people who cannot leave it at the office, maybe this isn't for you. And I don't know what about that professor, but I remember it's my seat so powerfully I got up and walked out and I thought I was walking away from um, you know social work if you will but uh, you know your purpose always chases you and follows you and so I just ended up doing it in a different manner but not in an office um, as a social worker um, so I actually started working in corporate I wanted to win and be on the top of that ladder if you will I started working for a company called Charles Schwab when my son was really young learned mm -hmm. a lot there. I got to meet Mr. Schwab actually when he was younger here in Colorado and um, learned a lot from that team. Um, there were very high and high profile clients that we worked with. They taught me how to talk to them and, and uh, manage their portfolios. And then I took the Series 7 and failed it. Uh, and then I had to take mm -hmm. it one more time. It was the most challenging test I've ever taken. I had to take it one more time. I went back to Schwab and really was in around an amazing, amazing moral and ethical company. I really loved them. I worked in healthcare. I worked for Pacific Care. I worked for all of these different companies where I came in um, at a regular role just in and grew into leadership. And then I kind of felt restricted each time I would start a new position or a company would go out of business or something would happen. And I felt like corporate America actually was jail for me. I think it's great for some people, but for my spirit, my free spirit, as it began to evolve, I just felt confined, I felt restricted, and that it was not the place for me. So when you left the corporate world, your family had an interesting response, didn't they? 
yeah, that that's a that's a serious time in my life because I remember sitting next to my neighbor. Um, you know, you work on a trade desk and it's highly monitored. Um, you know, in the financial industry. And you sit next to people and there's a row of managers who are making sure that, you know, you're following all the guidelines and this and that. And I tell her, you know, I'm going to leave. I did this. I took a leave of absence. I talked to all of my bosses, told them I wanted to see what it's like to be off of work. And I had some opportunities coming up, et cetera. And uh, I told my friend, this is what I'm going to do. Now, this is an interesting story because about one week later, my friend goes to the Acura dealership where my mom is currently working at that time. She's looking for a car. I had recently made the decision to move, you know, left my work with Charles Schwab in a very lovely manner. They told me, go your way. And, um, you know, we wish you the best. And my mom was um, at work and my friend was going to buy a car. And she goes, you know, Donnie doesn't work for Charles Schwab anymore. <laughs> and so through the grapevine is what I'm saying. My family found out that I quit my corporate job. And that was not well received. I remember one day after church, everybody called me over to the house. I haven't told anybody this either um, on a public stage, but they called me over the, to the house to have dinner, to have an intervention. <laughs> what are you doing with your life? What is happening? You have a good job. What about your family? You know, I was dating a guy um, in the league in the NFL at that time, and he had moved to another state. You know, where is he? What is happening? But the basis of that is where is your structured life? your job, your husband, your linear life. What are you doing? You're stepping out of the box to open a wine bar. You're studying wine. You're traveling. You're doing these other things. What is this about? And why didn't you tell us? And this might sound crazy to this audience, but um, you know, when my dad passed away, my family kind of took this leadership role and, and, and wanted me to be who they wanted me to be. And uh, became extremely serious and uh, a little bit violent in that conversation. Um, I didn't really know that they would have such an adverse or surprising response that, and they were saying that I should have told them directly. And that's immediately when I knew that I did not owe anyone else anything. I did not have to talk to them about leaving my job. They weren't paying my mortgage. They weren't paying my rent. They weren't taking care of me in that manner. And I was confused. I was younger. I was confused. Like I have two kids. I take care of myself. Why is this affecting you so much? And it's because the expectation that my family had placed on me. And I don't mean this in an evil manner. I don't think they did this in an evil, intentional manner. It's just how they were. And uh, we ended up not talking uh, for a few years. Um, my brother especially wanted to kind of haunted me for a little while. Like, what are you doing? Why are you betraying the family? What, what is happening? And um, we had since restored our relationship. And then I continued to grow conscious and continue to take risks. And he still doesn't understand it. He's living a very lovely life with his wife and kids and doing what he's doing. Um, but it wasn't nice. It wasn't, there was a lot of public embarrassment. He would come to my church. <laughs> he would come, we saw him in the mall, and my kids would be like, whoa, what is happening? Um, all because I decided to make a change, and I, I kind of felt like an alien in my family, to do something different, to try something different, to try and fail a billion times to seek my purpose and uh, my authentic calling. That's a very powerful story. You had the strength to not succumb to someone else's definition or someone else's story about you. And hey, congratulations. That's <laughs> very, very important. You developed a, a hallmark of your message in business and life talking about courage. Courage is a, 
a very central value to you. Can you talk about how that came about? How did you discover that? You know, I, um, I went through a tremendous amount of challenge over throughout that story. You know, everybody talks about, well, let me rewind this a little bit. I am called to share my story and talk about my story along the way. And I found that out very early on. So as I'm making these changes and faith jumping and quitting my corporate job and going into being an entrepreneur without a large savings account, without an additional income, without a husband, just doing all these crazy things, um, I realized that people still looked up to me. It was kind of interesting. Um, the young ladies that I worked with, um, I started a nonprofit helping single parenting families because I was not working at that time. So I had more time to invest in um, helping other people, not enabling them, but supporting them, um, helping them find doctors, you know, giving them supplies and all of that. And it really kind of shifted my direction uh, as far as giving back and, um, and beginning my entrepreneurial slash charitable work, if you will. So that was a huge part of it. And people began looking at me as a leader and a mentor. So they would ask, you know, can you come speak or can my, my kids come over with you? And I thought that was quite, a, quite interesting because I was, in my mind, failing. Like, I lost my house, had to sell my BMWs. I couldn't pay my rent at one point in time. I was laid off from a company just abruptly. There was a lot of different things happening in my life. But people still asked me and talked to me and saw me as a leader. And that's one thing that I had asked, um, I actually asked God, I was like, if I'm going to go through things to learn in this journey, if my spirit, if my transition, if my life is to go through these things to share with my kids to be better so the generations to come could be better, I don't want to look like it. I just, I didn't want to be false. I didn't want to be fake and put on, you know, my hair and whatever, but I didn't want to look like the trials that I had been through. And that, um, is something that pretty much has served me well and, um, that presence that I have spiritually, internally and externally caused me to start something called Be Beautiful by Faith and um, talking about being beautiful inside and what that means and showing that externally, especially in a 21st century world that always looks at the outside, that looks at images, that looks at money, that looks at cars, materialistic things, how many likes, how many, you know, how much attention do you have on social media? I started that because the internal piece of uh, who you are, no matter what you're going through, is still real. And you can affect someone right now. You don't have to be a millionaire. You don't have to have a thousand likes. You don't have to have all this stuff in order to be able to be humane and give, share, care, and like you say all the time, tell your story. And so as my story has been developing, I have been sharing it in front of many, many audiences. I remember Rod Smith saying, how come you didn't tell me you're about to be homeless? How come you didn't tell me you didn't have a car? How come you didn't tell me you didn't know what you were going to eat? I just kept showing up at the meetings, and my kids were eating, and we were going over there to hang out. He goes, how come you didn't tell me? He said it in front of a, a public room. I said, uh, you know, at first I was embarrassed, but secondly, because I never wanted to ask you or anyone else for anything else, because a lot of people were like, hey, you have all these influential friends and family and people you work with. Why don't you ask them for money? Why don't you ask them for help? And uh, in my soul, I knew that's not what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to endure that so I could teach back what I'm doing right now and how to people to recover. That's fabulous. You have gone through a baptism of fire. And yeah, that, that's, you know, and it's a testament to your strength. You know, that kind of answers the question, my next question. I said that 
You've worked with powerful and famous people. Why are they drawn to you? I think you just answered that. Uh, you know, I didn't mean to answer your question before you asked it, but it's when I tell my story, uh, it's all connected. So sometimes I don't, I don't mean to go too far in an interview, but it all evolves. It's ever evolving. And one thing always kept leading to the next. So to answer this question specifically, uh, I have an authentic spirit and I lead with that. I am, I just have a sense of intuition. I always have, even since I was a little kid. Um, the kids on the playground would tell me, I didn't even know what the word divorce was. I know that sounds funny, Lewis, but um, I had a two-parent home. I didn't know what divorce was. I just, you know, lived my life, went to school every day, had a great life. I wasn't sheltered by any means, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what some of these tragic things that were happening in other people's homes is molestation, all these. I didn't know what that was, but when I was a little kid, people just tell me stuff. And I was like, oh, gosh, like, what is this? I don't even know. So I learned a lot about life kind of with my friends and what they were enduring in their families. Then I got older, I got into college, I got into all these work environments, and everybody would just tell me a vault full of stories. I'd get on an elevator, and a lady would stand next to me and just tell me her whole life about her husband, all this private stuff, more information than I really needed to know. And so I started to figure out, oh, this is my gift. People share things with me, and whatever it is inside of me, I share back what I feel. And I can feel people when they talk. In business, it has helped me tremendously because if I'm talking to somebody about marketing or branding or where they want to go, no, I don't know every single business answer. I don't scale things perfectly. I'm not very logistic in certain manners. But as far as um, igniting the authenticity in them, the truth, giving them options, steps, and advice, if you will, um, even wisdom. <laughs> Some of my friends call me Yoda. Uh, it just comes naturally to me. And they trust me because there's no other way for me to be. I don't know any other way but to be authentic and truthful. And I'm strong and I've worked with a lot of men. I've never had a woman mentor ever. I choose to be one to others, but I have always had male mentors who have taken me by their side, trusted what I say, what do you think? I go to meetings, they, I take in all the information, I feed it back to them and they ask me questions. And these are guys who are leading million and billion dollar companies. And uh, I would just say it's a natural gift. There is no method or system to it. It's just something that I'm gifted to do. Authenticity is a powerful magnet, Danya. And you've got that. that that's fantastic. Now, tell us about your work with chosen advocates and how does it relate to your daughter? Wow, that was such a huge deal. That was surprising. Uh, well, over this time, I was on LinkedIn looking for a position, a position that would satisfy me and fulfill me while I was working in network marketing. I was on a huge mission to, you know, have multiple incomes, whether it be work and, you know, doing network marketing or mar whatever it was. I wanted to have three different incomes. So I was online and a gentleman found me, invited me to be part of the Women's Broadcasting Network. At that time, I was going to Colorado Media School, and I wanted to learn about broadcasting and being on air. I was going to create this world. I was going to learn. My goal is to be on Good Morning America at some point in time. I still love media and broadcasting so, so much. So I was looking for it, and he found me at 3 a.m., and we connected at 3 a.m. over LinkedIn. And um, he kind of interviewed me. I met with him a few times over breakfast. He says, you do not need to be in school. He said, you have every single thing you need right now. And that's kind of something I learned in network marketing. A lot of people who have done really well in that industry do not have degrees. 
And so I took that largely into consideration. I was doing an internship at Crawford Broadcasting with their amazing team and their nationwide channels. And I stopped going to school and I started working with this network. And uh, they had invited Angela Graff, who was a leader of Chosen Advocates, and um, to the show. And I did not know what she was about. I have to admit, I was not prepared for the show. And I hadn't really studied up on her. And I did it about 10 minutes before. And she actually talked um, about sex trafficking, which is something that I didn't really want to talk about on the air at that time. We were talking about business and empowerment and all this fluffy stuff. She gets on. I tell her just to roll with me. We say a quick prayer. And there was a powerful movement in the room. She just begins to talk about her movement and what she does and how she talks to people about uh, the truth about sex trafficking, how much it's happening in Colorado, um, the number one states, what women are doing, how it's happening with your neighbors down the street. It is not something that just bad girls or bad guys get into and how people are making tremendous money about it. And she was absolutely flagrant. So through that, um, through that interview, I mean, I was taken back by what she was saying. But see, she was so strong in what she was talking about and all the horrible things that are happening. And uh, later we developed a friendship and she asked me to be an MC for her nationwide event. And in that, she actually brought in um, kids who actually escaped that, the very few that do escape that world. And uh, I had to be the MC in transition after they're telling these stories um, of rape and abuse and how they were just snuck out of their parents' house one night and they never came back. And what these gentlemen look like. She was describing to me, she's very, very good at this, describing what they have and you know the tags on them, whether it be a tattoo how they may look, how they may present themselves, uh, and all of that. So I uh, moved to Houston for a short time after my daughter had heart surgery. Um, that was also another pivotal moment in my life. And we're at a Starbucks two days after I'm there. And my daughter wants to run in and go to the restroom, and I'm going into the store next door. And my daughter comes out. She leaves her phone in the car. My daughter comes out, and uh, she's like, Mom, okay, we need to go. We need to go right now. And I didn't understand what she was saying. Like, we were new to the state. I didn't know what she was saying. And then she, we drive away a little bit. And she begins to explain to me exactly what this family, this quote-unquote family, looked like. They all had the same tattoos. They were asking where she was. They were asking where her parents were. Um, he followed her to the bathroom, um, like many of them do. They go into very public environments. And they take these kids, and you never, ever see them again. But because I had talked to my daughter so immensely about what I had learned, um, the books that I had read, what Angela had shared with me, so that if she ever came against it, in our neighborhood, our lovely Greenwood na- Village neighborhood, our affluent neighborhood, or anywhere we were, she would know what to do. And I remember going back to the hotel at the pool, and she's explaining all of this to me. And my daughter could have been a millisecond with me sitting outside of a Starbucks. Um, she could have been part of that. And then just recently, um, we were here in our lovely neighborhood, and we were in the grocery store. I ran to Tokyo Joe's to grab some food. She ran to get some dishwashing soap, and the same thing happened to her. But this time she went actually to the King Super's clerk. And it just was a very two real moments that it could have been seconds that my daughter could have became of that system that people are abused and die in and never get out of. And so I didn't know why I was talking to Angela. I didn't ever really want to. But just taking a risk and talking about a subject and showing up and being there for her ended up uh, allowing me to share with my daughter and other children, her friends, her girlfriends, on what that looks like in America and why they could be prone to it, just like any other child. That is another powerful story. Thank you. Now, you mentioned that your daughter had heart surgery and that your family did not support you at that time. Can you talk about that? 
Yeah, yes. Um, that's something that was somewhat recent in our life. Um, my daughter actually was born with this. And uh, there's an amazing, amazing doctor at Kaiser out here. And I don't really like to name drop, but man, that this doctor was amazing. So I felt in my spirit, my daughter's in high school, felt in my spirit, stay close to your daughter. And I'm thinking, man, I am that mom. I drive her to school. I pick her up every day. I do everything. We have dinner, like watch movies. What, what does this mean? And uh, I just kept feeling my spirit say, you know, stay close to your daughter. So one day I was like, okay, listen, Clay, come down. Let's watch movies. Like, come sleep with mom. That sounds kind of weird as a teenager, especially when they're own, in their own world, on the phone, you know, texting, doing what they do. And uh, she comes downstairs and literally not even hours later, she's having trouble breathing. And she's sitting next to me and she's like, mom, I just, I just don't feel right. I don't feel well. And so I'm listening to her breathe. And so we go to um, the urgent care room and there's a doctor there. And she's like, you know, I'm going to do one test. I said, okay. And she said, I'm going to do another. She ended up doing a series of like eight tests and she kept apologizing. She was so gentle. She was like, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to do one more. I feel like something's happening. So after like the fifth test, I knew something was shifting. I was like, do as many tests as needed. So they found a huge shadow on my daughter's uh, heart and uh, something, again, that kids are born with and they normally can just have surgery and, and be okay or not. But she's now 15 years old. And um, we immediately went to Children's Hospital. Another beautiful story in that she, um, I had done an internship there um, with the Ryan Seacrest Foundation at their radio station inside the hospital. They have the station and television there where the kids can go down, they can talk, they bring in guests from all over, they bring in the Broncos, they bring in Olympians, and I uh, was doing a live show there, and I was helping them put that on, and I didn't like hospitals because my dad died in one, so I hadn't really been in or around one, so I worked on that project, challenged myself, learned and worked with those amazing people at the Ryan Seacrest Foundation, and then three months later, my daughter was in the same hospital, but it was so much easier for me because I knew the staff, and I knew what they were about. And I saw the miraculous things that they were doing with every child in there. And um, she had a part of her aorta cut because she had a vascular ring that was around her uh, trachea. And um, we were in the hospital for five days. And people came to visit us, you know, you know, right at a funeral or when there's something happening, people always show up. They always support. They're there. But after that, man, my whole life changed. No one was there. My brother went back to his life. My mom had us at our house for a little bit, but as far as like financially, I hadn't been working for months. Um, I needed to, you know, take care of my kid. I didn't want to ask for handouts. I put my, my personal business on the side. I was shocked that this had to happen. Um, I had to give up my loft. Uh, my landlord ended up selling, selling it the day before my daughter went into uh, surgery. So we kind of didn't have anywhere to live. I had to sell my car and my family just wasn't that family at that point in my life. And here's why, Lewis. I believe because I looked like I was okay. Um, you know, my daughter and I were still very well kept. We were strong. We were faith-driven. We were positive. We were not fearful. We were not uh, asking for anything. We just knew by faith it was just going to be okay. And I think that strength and that persona really told everybody that they're fine. We'll get back to them later. And we were just left at a very serious point in our life without anything, nothing at all. Wow. Now, you've lost everything a few times, and you rebuilt your life. Talk some more about rebuilding. And before you do, a note to my storytellers. Yes, 
you heard my cat expressing her feelings while Danya was talking about her daughter. Rebuilding is real. I think it's actually something that people can do every single day, whether it be monetarily or spiritually or mentally. Um, that's the biggest thing that I learned is that materialistic things um, are not everything. I never went without one as a child. We grew up in a beautiful home. We always had a car. We always had everything. As I grew up, I, you know, I drove BMWs. I thought I was cool, did all that stuff. I always had a beautiful apartment, beautiful home, beautiful communities for me to live in. Um, but as I began to take those risks as an entrepreneur, as I began to work for companies that were startups that didn't, couldn't necessarily hold me as an employee or the layoffs happened in 2007 where everybody got a laid off abruptly and not everybody got a great severance package. All of those series of events um, took away from my single parenting income. I'm the only one who was supporting my kids financially. And uh, those abrupt changes, you know, they say everyone is one paycheck away from being homeless. And that is the truth. Now, I have not been homeless before, but I have had to go, you know, live with a friend here and there. I have had to sell all my stuff and start again. And when you ask that question, I believe that uh, rebuilding is actually a very positive, powerful, spiritual experience. Because it teaches you that those monetary things, those houses and those cars are not the truth. You finding who you are, you connecting to your purpose. I noticed that every time I wasn't working my purpose is when I lost everything. When I'm working in my purpose, everything flows well. My finances f flow well, opportunity opens up, but when I'm against my purpose or feeling sorry for myself or all those things, um, when I'm confused in a state of confusion and I'm not being peaceful and listening to divine guidance, uh, I feel like those are times that I lost everything. So rebuilding is just kind of rebuilding my character inside and out. You know, you can always buy a new couch and a new car and get a new apartment and what have you. But it is the soul of and the evolution of who you become after enduring those losses and who you talk to and other people that matters. That is, again, a very, very inspiring thing. You're, you're sharing some very wonderful gifts with this audience today. Thank you very much. Now, you started the movement. You mentioned it before. Be beautiful, be beautiful by faith. You want to talk a little more about that? Yes, I love this movement. And I'm actually getting ready to reach out some, to some very influential people and ask them to be on this with me. Uh, you know, Alicia Keys went on the no makeup and, um, kind of era where she wasn't wearing makeup at all. And she's this superstar. And everybody was following her and seeing her authentic beauty and her be a mom and and uh, a singer and actress and all the things that she does. And that was huge. Now, that's not what inspired me. What inspired me is all my daughter, actually, being on the Internet, doing these likes, um, working for other businesses, driving their social media behind the scenes, getting the likes and making sure they look good and making sure that they're authentically sharing themselves and watching most everyone else do the exact opposite, putting fake uh, photos up, brushing them up, making their life look perfect on Facebook and Instagram, making everything look so fun and so beautiful and so great. And like they're just having the time of their lives and not telling the truth about what's happening at home. A lot of those moms are going home and they're being abused. They don't want to go home. Their kids are struggling. They're having financial troubles. The list could go on, but you don't see that. You just don't see that on social media. And social media was such a huge part of my work is in marketing because it's how people communicate now. It's like, I mean, log on to my Facebook, go to my Instagram. This is a very powerful thing and a positive thing in the 21st century, but it could be very detrimental to the truth 
and the authenticity of human beings and humanity. So Be Beautiful by Faith came out because I just started talking to people um, at church or wherever else I was. Um, when I was talking on radio, it kind of would be my basis is faith. And that faith is in who you are. That faith is in the omnipotent power within. It is not religion-based. It is the authentic power that we have inside of us that every single person has. It's not like Jim gets it and John doesn't. Uh, Susie gets it and Suzanne doesn't. Uh, everybody has it. And to show what that is, because that will outweigh the looks and the photos and here's where I am now, that's going to be the legacy building part of who they are. And I don't think it's shown enough. I don't think it's said enough. I don't think we're reminded that we already have that every time we wake up, every time we take a breath. And uh, be beautiful by faith. We're going to have T-shirts. And I'm doing some more rebranding my business. And we're making it more refined to talk about that movement and spread it nationally. And if people want to find out more about it, is it on um, Facebook? Yeah, you could actually uh, go to Beautiful by Faith on Facebook. Um, and that is also underneath Donya Gale, which is D-O-N-J-I-A-G-A-L-E. Uh, but I'm actually consolidating all of my movements and projects and my business, uh, my marketing, branding business, all of that under DonyaGale.com. So by the time this airs, everything will be up and running. You'll be able to see Be Beautiful by Faith, the movement. You'll be able to see Right Now with Donya Gale, which is my podcast and my video blogs. And then you will also be able to see the Be Beautiful by Faith portion of really what I do and how it's all connected uh, to my marketing business as an entrepreneur and what I do every day. That's wonderful because I am sure that people will be drawn to it and they should be. And um, there it is, like a shining light for them to uh, gravitate toward. Now, what are you most passionate about in life? If you had to say one thing. Love. It is my favorite word since forever. It has always been, it's like in my password somewhere inside out, upside down. I probably shouldn't have said that publicly, but it is. It's so love because that is the only thing, only thing that matters. Love for people, love for yourself. Um, if you're faith driven, no matter what your belief system is, love is everything. And it's the connectivity. It is the authentic light that we have within and no one survives without it. We do not evolve without it. And um, I love, love, love where I'm working right now. I have to mention this, if you don't mind, Lewis. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, don't know if you're, I don't know if you're going to ask me what I'm doing right now, in addition to my marketing business and all that. But um, <laughs> I am right now uh, sitting in a studio uh, with an amazing, amazing gentleman that I work with that is all about love, that is all about passion, that is all about helping other people. And his name is Tony Grebmeyer, and uh, he has something called the Tony G Show. And um, he hired me to work with him on his podcast and with his business, Ship Offers. And I have to say this, I'm actually able to talk to you. I'm able to talk about my business. I'm able to work my business. I'm able to share and give and do everything that I need to do for him um, on his podcast and this company all at the same time. This company believes in empowering people to have a second and third income, to drive their purpose, to drive who they are, what they are every single day. And when they come here, their work is here, but he inspires them to grow and live and be so much more. He always calls this a stepping stone for who they're truly called to be. So I'm thankful to you, Tony Grabmeyer, for having me in your studio today, allowing me to share my personal story, why I am on your, uh, your business time. <laughs> 
Well, what's particularly wonderful is that this coming Saturday on Change Your Story, Change Your Life, the guest is Tony Grabmeyer. Oh. Absolutely. Yeah, he has a powerful story, as you know. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, I'm excited about these five years. So, you know, a lot of what I talk to women about is like, you know, when your kids grow up, I always used to laugh at the moms who say, I'm going to be an empty nester. What am I going to do? I don't know what to do without my kids. I thought they were funny. Like, live your life. Do something. Get your life. Then my son went on to college and I kind of felt a phase of that. And then uh, the next year or two, my daughter's going to be doing the same thing. So uh, I really am going to work in media broadcasting. I am creating a platform for myself, but also intend to be on larger um, media platforms, sharing my story, inspiring, telling the truth along the way, uh, failing and getting better, working with the influential people that I do in my marketing branding business. I've got it down to a niche or a niche, however you would like to say it, and uh, working with those people nationally and internationally and creating their business taking them from wherever they are to the authentic place that is going to outweigh social media, that's going to outweigh numbers, that's really going to take their legacy far beyond that because it's going to be the authenticity of who they are. So traveling the world, um, I will have a home base in Colorado always, um, sharing my life with my family and my kids in Italy and Europe and everywhere possible, um, but really in all of that, working from wherever I want, having multiple streams of income and doing it through media, broadcasting, and marketing. Fantastic. I know you will. I can hear the passion and excitement in your voice when you talk <laughs> When you talk about it. What, what is your favorite book? Oh, my favorite book. Well, I would say I have two at this time. I actually... Um, I actually do like the Bible because there's a lot of stories in there that you can take and read and uh, believe as, as you are led to believe. And so obviously it's the number one selling book in the world and it's the one book that I have been most influenced by. But as far as my uh, another read that's outside of that is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. I remember I was going through a lot of things sat down on a patio for one summer and listened to the audio, read the book a couple of times, heard the most powerful emphasis on being thankful for right now. And it changed my life because no matter what was happening around me, no matter what people were saying or how I was judged or even the wonderful things that were happening within and around me, the only moment that we do have is right now. And he shares that wonderfully. So that was a very influential, very, very favorite book of mine. I agree. It really is. Uh, a favorite of mine as well. What is your favorite quote? Uh, my favorite quote is by Maya Angelou. And uh, I have this belief in people. And I just, you know, no matter how good, bad, or indifferent, or whatever they're going through, I just believe in them. I always have hope. And some people have said, come on, Danya. You had to have seen that coming in that person. Uh, so Maya Angelou's quote, um, the very first time someone shows you who they are, believe them. That is one of my favorite quotes because it, it is the truth. The authenticity and the truth of someone will come out immediately. You'll feel it energy-wise. Um, they may say one thing, but uh, when they show you um, with their actions and their energy, that is what you should believe. So the very first time a person shows you who they are, believe them. Yes. The first time someone shows you who they are, believe them. And that's by Maya Angelou. Beautiful. Remind us, how can people contact you? 
people can contact me now. Even though I'm going through rebranding on my website, donyagale.com, they can reach me at donya, D-O-N-J-I-A, at donyagale.com. So I'll say it one more time, D-O-N-J-I-A, at D-O-N-J-I-A-G-A-L-E.com. So it's my name. And um, they can reach me there or find me on Facebook. Um, but I'm putting everything together. And again, as this show rolls out, it should all be condensed in a great place for them to learn more about me, the people I work with, and what I do. And what are your final thoughts for our storytellers today? The greatest thing in life is love. But what I feel right now, the, word, the first word that came to me is gratitude. Gratitude for being on your show. You're a storyteller. You have a great history of how you evolved your life and your career, and you're giving back to others even to this day. I have a tremendous amount of gratitude. So what I would say is be thankful. <laughs> ah, be so very, very grateful this... and thankful for every single thing and every opportunity that comes your way because there's a lesson in it, and you can grow from it. So I would say um, I would leave them with gratitude for the small, medium, and large things in life. They all matter. Thank you so much for sharing your heart, your passion, and, of course, your authenticity with us today. You've given a lot to me and to the storytellers listening to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to be on your show, Lewis. Thank you for what you do, and uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. This is one of the most raw interviews I've done, and so many more to come. Hmm. To be continued. Yes. <laughs> As always, thank you, storytellers, for sharing your time with us today. Danya, I think you will agree, has given us so many inspiring moments. Her story is one that can elevate any human being. People going through battles in life, which I think happens to be all of us. Pay it forward. Let your friends know that they can get this inspiration at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website, changeyourstorypodcast.com. And of course, at that website, you will find a free gift, a downloadable ebook that I created for you called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. We've talked a bit about books in this show today. And remember that our sponsor is Audible, and you can choose one of the books that you heard about or something else of your choice from more than 120,000 titles and get access for free to one month of all of Audible's service. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. Today's theme, the dominant theme in Danya's story was who defines you? You met a woman who constantly was faced with definitions from other people and she chose to define herself. Think about your life. Are there things that you're not doing are you living into a role that someone else has imposed on you? A definition for who you are that you really do not want, that is going against the grain of your authenticity. Know that you can define who you are in your terms immediately 
by simply making a choice. Begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Luis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.